Hello, All About Blockchain listeners. This is your host, Lauren Weymouth, coming back to you after a winter break. And during that time off, we have seen one of the major use cases of blockchain cryptocurrency start to really go through the roof. More institutional investors have been pouring money in. We hear names like Elon Musk making large investments, Twitter making declarations that they're going to hold Bitcoin on their balance sheet. And we've also seen more stores and companies start to accept cryptocurrency as payment, like AT&T and Microsoft, Burger King and Pizza Hut in Venezuela, and KFC in Canada. But this is one use case of blockchain, a good use case, the holding value, a store of value. But there are many other use cases being developed, and this is what All About Blockchain is all about. We're listening to our fellow scholars, our academics, talk about what they're developing what they're researching and what's going to work in different industries using blockchain technology. And today I have the pleasure of introducing Dr. Joanne Luciano, a distinguished professor of data science at the University of the Virgin Islands. Joanne is an experienced technology consultant to industry. Joanne, welcome. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. So Joanne, you're a fellow New Yorker, you're a data science person, tech person, and you're here to share with us why you took the opportunity to learn blockchain and empower and enable others on your campus to understand. I became interested in your work after hearing you present at the National HBCU Blockchain Research and Innovation Conference uh, this past November. We're also going to cover the early stages of your pilot project today, using blockchain to solve challenges in the farming industry. But let's start at the very beginning. When did you first hear about blockchain? I honestly don't remember. I'm not new to technology, and new technologies, as you know, are emerging all the time. I don't recall the first time I heard about blockchain. And in coming to the University of the Virgin Islands and being focused on setting up a data science community in a data drought area, it's, it's been a challenge, and I was pretty focused on that. It wasn't until I was approached by Morgan State University in their outreach to all the HBCUs that I really started um, considering putting it on my radar because there are tons of technologies and you have to stay focused sometimes. For those of you who are unaware, HBCUs are historically black colleges and universities. There are about 100 of them, I think actually 107 in the United States, and the University of the Virgin Islands is, is one of them. Morgan State turned you on to wanting to know more about it. And what were your methods? Like, how did you go about learning more about blockchain? So Morgan State had a summit. They had the first inaugural blockchain summit, and they invited all the HBCUs to come and learn about blockchain. And so I went to Maryland, to MSU, to to hear about it. And it was during that three days, I was able to bring a student with me, that I realized that this is something I really need to pay attention to and to bring into my curriculum. It had to do with creating opportunities for the minority groups. I do have a long history in high tech from my 20s in the Boston area. And one of the arguments that was made was that this emerging technology, blockchain, was now at a point where it was getting serious attention. It had sort of gone past the infancy stage. Would it, would it be able to walk? You know, it's past the crawling stage. And I thought about my career and my history and realizing that if students were educated in blockchain technology and went to startup companies, even if those initial companies failed, they would be in a different world and in a different place and have opportunities that they would have never had 
than before. So I started to think about that and some of the use cases that were mentioned at that summit followed the incentives and built some materials to, uh, to bring into my class. And one of the things um, that happened was the student that I brought had two friends of his who were UVI alums. UVI is the University of the Virgin Islands. So they were alums and they had been filling his ear with blockchain for a couple of years. And so when we came back from the conference, they wanted to meet me. And of course I wanted to meet them and they became collaborators on the project they were about to talk about. Okay, so you started incorporating into your teaching. How did that go? How's that going? I've been able to bring it into a few modules into the classroom. We've had a data science and blockchain club, but you know, it's a small island and it's a tourist-driven economy here and not a technology-driven economy and we're trying to to change some of that. So it's it's kind of slow going. We have incredible students, but we have few numbers of incredible students. It sounds like uh, from what you were talking about, I mean, it's a contagious field, right? You met up with other professors in schools and realized the importance of it. Your student who got excited coming to the conference with you had other friends who were trying to fill his ears with uh, why this technology is meaningful. And maybe you can tell us about the Emerald Archipelago supply chain use case, what you've been working on. Sure. So we're an island. And we get 98% of our food imported on container ships. So if I'm in the supermarket or a grocer or the, the, even the premier shops, um, it's about uh, 10 days to 14 days from harvest to shelf. And by that time, the nutritional content has diminished completely. Uh, in addition, we're prone to hurricanes here in the Virgin Islands. When, when a disaster happens... Ships that can't even come in with the food, we're really stranded. And by the time it does come in, it's rotten. There's a real challenge here with food security and fresh and nutritious food. There are farms, there are local farms, but the local farmers don't have the skill sets needed to really create the marketplace that they needed. A lot of grocers and restaurants don't rely on the local farmers for produce. We really need to build the local farming community we can better distribute the food that we do have locally so that people can eat and fare better during the hurricanes, especially our elderly population, which is very vulnerable here. So we can do a better job at distribution so that the food gets consumed while it's fresh rather than it rotting and not knowing um, how to get resources from one place to another. As part of the has a mitigation and resiliency plan. The territory is in the process of completing the plan for the next five years. One of the people that that came to the project has uh, is a local entrepreneur, and he had a previous business where he engaged with a lot of the local farmers and saw the that what was needed was a simple way to both aggregate the produce as well as to enable the marketplace so that the grocers could have access and the restaurants could have access to the local produce. And that's where it started. And then we had another team member who's a micro farmer. So it, it actually started with this grocer and supply chain from grocers and restaurants concept. And then the micro farming community came in as part of the hazard mitigation and resilience planning. Like if you're going to be self-sufficient and supporting yourself with food, you can't discount the micro farmers that are on the island. And so our initial study 
um, reached out to a number of microfarmers to try to collect data on who's producing what so that we could then aggregate the data. Um, when you say microfarmers, what are the crops that they're producing locally? We produce locally avocados, mangoes, uh, guava, watercress, kale, and spinach. I'm focusing on greens because since the start of this project, I've been able to start a garden. And now I have <laughs> my own tomatoes and broccoli and beans and bok choy, lots of herbs, spinach, parsley, thyme. Yeah, there's a lot here. And I don't know why I'm also imagining coconuts. Yeah, there are definitely coconut water is a big thing. You can actually buy it by the gallon or by the coconut. They can just slice it off for you and, and, and you can have a drink at the market. That's great. Cucumbers. <laughs> so now that you're endeavoring in your own micro gardening, are you going to walk the walk and join the network using these new protocols that you're setting up? Well, I actually, um, I started, so I did fill out the survey when I started my garden, which was just in pots. And the survey is open and any, you know, Virgin Islanders, if you happen to be listening to this, you continue to add to the survey. Uh, we're building the database of the microfarmers that are on. But at the time, I had just a few plants in pots. And now I have a plot that's um, about six feet wide and about uh, 20, 25 feet long. I've got tons of tomatoes coming in. Um, I've got a lot of greens, and I will have to update my my survey. Uh, I do plan on not just feeding myself, but I live on a property that's about two acres, and we're going to try to turn more of this into farming land. I've got the neighbor's kids fully engaged with the garden, and I've I've given them some plants, and we've just we're about to repot our second crop of tomatoes, so we've got the grandchildren of the plants. So I, I do, I, yes, as a result of this project, I have gotten more engaged with farming, with the local farming community, and with building that community and the food availability on the island. So Joanne, when the travel ban lifts due to the pandemic, can I fly over and have dinner with you eating your fresh grown produce? Absolutely. Without question, I look forward to it. I mean, this is great. First, when I was you know, thinking about our discussion, I was thinking about the farmers. But now I really see that this is impacting the supply chain, the distributors, the grocery stores, and then all the people who could be without food if there isn't enough supply of it. And, and the tourists who are coming in and expect these buffets at their hotels. And, you know, this is really, it affects everyone. That's right. So the mission has been to engage the technology to help the community in the problem of, of you know, of food security and uh, to help the the health and the well-being of the Virgin Islanders, to have access to, to good, nutritious produce, and to create a market that scales and that's trusted. So how does blockchain solve for this challenge? We see smart contracts as the way of simplifying the process for the farmers. That's really at the heart of it. Say more about that. So for someone that doesn't know what a smart contract is, how does that work? By the nature of the smart contract, the way that it's set up with the third party built into it and the decentralization, the terms are guaranteed once they're included into the smart contract. So what I'm hearing is that this protocol will execute a document, a legal document that has trust built in right. and um, transparency. It's automated. What else can we count on from this? Once the smart contract is put together, it's, it's there for everybody to see on the blockchain. Um, not that parts of it can't be encrypted, but it can't be 
adjusted. It can't be mutated. It can't be hacked with. The terms are guaranteed and the escrows are put in place so that the terms are fulfilled for the parties involved. Got it. So these agreements that are are contained and they exist across a distributed decentralized blockchain network and everyone must agree upon it because it's it's almost like locked in. It's built in. It's built into the system. Yeah, it took me it took me a while to figure that out. Like I uh, there were pieces that were missing for me and then I realized once you put something on the blockchain, that's it. It's done. Right? So in, in other contracts you could you could sort of disappear if you will, right? <laughs> but but you can't. I mean the terms and the technology are built in so any funds are um, are allocated at at the outset. So that if the delivery doesn't take place, the person who's expecting the delivery doesn't lose out. What we can do is we can create, using the blockchain technology, a simple app for farmers that will allow them to put their produce on when it becomes available, what they expect. It will allow them to um, plan better by seeing what kinds of produce the restaurants or the grocers might want, what the demand is. So it will help manage that whole thing. And everyone will be able to see through an app the actual status of the contract fulfillment as it's working its way through the supply chain. That's amazing. So it's real time. It's real time. Yeah. And, and it's simplified. Like they don't need to do any, you know, big deal legal mumbo jumbo that nobody will understand and doesn't really have any meaning because if somebody doesn't fulfill their part of the contract, then you have to go chase them down. And that is, time-consuming and many times not even possible to do. Yeah, it's not efficient. All right, so who do you need to partner with to make this project go from pilot to prototype? What's the next steps? We're actually just in the process of reconvening to figure out exactly what our next steps are. We had our first meeting post-winter break um, the other morning. We'll be reconvening uh, in the next couple of days to talk about the new opportunities that are on the horizon. We're figuring out our next steps. Do you have student helpers? Yes. There's one student who was part of the initial project who came on sort of towards the end of it, who was in my data science class and somehow overheard a conversation and has a background. He's a local Virgin Islander and he has a background in farming and he's totally on board with this. Uh, He has a deep interest in farming and knows a lot. He's like one of my little farming consultants now that I have a garden. He just started programming last semester when he took my data science class and now he's the teaching assistant for the course. And he's very interested in continuing the project and learning more about how it can impact the farming industry as well as the technology. He's very excited about the technology. So, Well, look what an opportunity this is providing to him. I mean, he gets to be at the forefront of a new project that's going to change lives and make a really big difference, uh, not just locally, but if this works, it could impact, you know, smart using smart contracts for supply chain in farming could impact all farming regions. So I have a, a, a class of data science students now that are just learning about data. And uh, I anticipate that once they get wind of this, when we get to this part in the course, because we, we're still just talking about what data is and where it comes from, that they will be pretty excited about not only the technology, but also the opportunity. And this class is an introductory level class. It's, I don't know of any of its kind really that introduce data science at the university level to undergraduates that are basically sophomores and don't have any experience yet uh, in statistics and in programming. So we teach them some Python and we teach them math and statistics that they need to know and walk them through the data science workflow. 
This semester, we have nine students. We have, for the first time in my career, we have eight females and one male. Last semester was flipped. I'm extremely excited. We have some business majors, accounting majors, some physics and uh, computer science. We've got a lot multidisciplinary course, and it's just an exciting, exciting to be engaging with these young women. What's interesting is there one male student is taking the class online. So he watches the video of the class and submits videos to the class. But while I'm meeting, it's just all female, which is completely new in my career. So that's kind of cool. Well, it's so great to hear a project of this importance at the very early stages. And you're at the same time, educating the population that will probably end up being your team on this and gathering your resources and putting all the pieces in place. We hear about projects at all different stages, and it's nice for our listeners to understand what it takes to actually you know, get stuff launched. You recently told me a story about your light bulb moment of when you really truly got the impact the blockchain technology could have on different aspects and different industries. Can you share the story with our listeners of when you first had your light bulb go off on what blockchain really could do? Well, one of them I mentioned earlier, which was when I realized how important it would be to get students trained in this technology so that they could have really fulfilling careers, whether the particular company made it or not. Um, In terms of the actual technology itself, it didn't really occur until, I will admit, after our pilot project. Um, I could see all the pieces, but I didn't have that aha moment when... uh, Sean, who's the blockchain evangelist and wants to lead us through the fourth industrial revolution, um, he and I were relaxing, having dinner. And I'm like, okay, Sean, so tell me, like, I, you know, I don't really understand what the real so what about this is. And we went back and forth several times. And for me, it was the moment where I realized that it was the trust issue. It was the the trust being built into the system, which is always saying it's a trustless system. So that kind of never made sense to my logical brain. So what I realized is that just even somebody, I, I have this saying, getting things in writing, if someone is willing to put it in writing, then you can do business with them, right? It's only when people don't want to put things in writing that you have to be concerned about it. So If people are willing to put things on the blockchain, that tells you a lot about their trust business and and their the integrity is built in. So um, so it was that confusion over trustless where trust and escrow is built into the system. And that's what the aha moment was for me. It was like, oh, once it's once it's in a smart contract on the blockchain, it's it's good to go. And that was a big moment for me. And, and, uh, and I was going around thinking people are trying just the same thing, same mistake we made with the semantic web, which was trying to explain the technology. And, <laughs> and I'm thinking people keep trying to explain the technology of blockchain. And, and it's really what it, what it delivers that, uh, that is so important. That's awesome. That's a really good share. Um, you see blockchain impacting your campus, how it's really going to create all kinds of opportunities for your students. How do you see blockchain industry evolving or continuing to mature over the next five years? 
Well, as more and more applications get developed, like anything else, it will get more and more into the mainstream. So it won't become this kind of like, what are they talking about? More people will be used to the term. If I go onto PayPal, it allows me to play with cryptocurrencies. So um, it will become more and more of a household word. Yeah, and more and more contracts will be developed in this way and uh, it will become part of the fourth industrial revolution. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. We constantly hear about how it's about utility, what different applications are being built, what is being used, and how it's being exercised in, in different industries um, with different groups. So. so I remember back when the World Wide Web started, and we did not see WWW on everything, right? And I remember there was one day where I saw, and I don't eat white bread typically, um, but I saw on like this Wonder Bread loaf, um, www.wonderbread.com, you know? So, <laughs> you know, I've watched, I've watched technology emerge. When I started with computing, uh, I was on punch cards. <laughs> We've come a long way since then. You know, the smartphones that we carry around took up the size of a room. Wait, what's a punch card? I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I met Grace Hopper <laughs> multiple times. <laughs> hey, well, that's fantastic. It's amazing. It's really amazing. Yeah. Where do you want to send people to find out more information about this project and your work? We have a website. It's eagroup.io, where you can go for further information. We posted our videos of our community engagement, uh, and as well as our report out on the first phase of the project. There you can also learn about the next phases of the project. Joanne, you've really made me think about and highlighted to us how important the basic right of nutritious food is and how important it is in our daily lives. And when you don't have it, what a big deal that can be. And it's been great to learn that blockchain technology can make a difference in your island community and others as well. Thank you so much for taking your time today to be with us. I know how busy you are with teaching and research and grant writing. Uh, we've really appreciated hearing from you. Lauren, it's been my pleasure. I want to thank you for the opportunity to tell you what we're doing here with blockchain technology. It's, um, we're very excited about it, and, and I really appreciate this opportunity to come and speak to you today. I enjoyed our conversation and having you on All About Blockchain. And listeners, thank you for exploring with us. If you have any questions about this episode or any feedback for new episodes, please reach out to ubri at ripple.com. Till next time.